Okay, now, my first guest is Clive Davis. He's on the cover of People magazine, the music mogul genius with the magical touch, who has made, discovered, created the most famous one-namers of our generation. Whitney, Aretha, Manilo, Dion, Alicia, Springsteen, Joplin, Simon and Garfunkel, and two-namer Taylor Swift. Me, not but I am now about to introduce my friend, Clive Davis, who is also my neighbor. So, Clive Davis, Clive Davis, you're gorgeous on the cover of People magazine. You have more makeup on than Jen- Jennifer Lopez. How did they do it? <laughs> um, I didn't uh, sit for People magazine. Uh, I was surprised that they did this whole photo spread from different parts of my life um, where they unexpectedly this past week um, did four pages on my life. So I really did not sit for any uh, photo. Oh, honey, they could do a hundred pages on your life. I would like to know, is it too late for people like me who used to love a Bing Crosby or a Frank Sinatra or normal type songs? Is it too late for us? We'll never have that again? Well, the songs are different. You know that decades change music. And um, will we ever have Cole Porter again or Rodgers and Hammerstein or, uh, you know, Rodgers and Hart? Um, the, um, The music does change and currently... Um, it is hip hop that's dominating, but probably the biggest artists, notwithstanding the strength of artists like Drake or uh, Kendrick Lamar, is Taylor Swift. Um, so that she uh, has quite creatively and quite brilliantly gone from a country uh, artist. Uh, to a pop artist. So it really is country and pop um, so that um, that music is commercially dominant. Now, uh, there is still some what we call adult contemporary, which is what you're talking about with Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby. But I'm afraid they were pretty good in my time. They were wonderful. They're all time. Probably the best male uh, vocalist of all time, uh, creatively with Frank Sinatra. Listen, you just had a birthday party, very small little birthday party. Maybe 900 people came. Did they all wear masks at your party? They all had to be uh, vaccinated. They all show, had to show their uh, three or four shots of vaccination. They were uh, the most everybody at cocktails where there was a close proximity um, uh, to each other uh, definitely did wear masks. But when they entered the uh, dinner ballroom um, over there at uh, Casa uh, Cipriani, the new place, uh, they sat at dinner tables um, without masks. Honey, did you as a kid ever think that you would become this famous? I mean, a world famous at what you do? Nobody does what you do. 
What did you think? What did, what were you going to be? No, Cindy had never entered my mind. Uh, I lost my parents when I was 18, within a year of each other. I had $4,000 to my name after my both parents were no longer here. I had to depend on the beneficence of others. So I did get college scholarships to NYU. And the way that I would hope to rise above the working class status of uh, my parents uh, would be through law. And in those years, if you were um, a kid, Jewish kid from Brooklyn, uh, you either had to be a lawyer or a doctor. And I never liked the sight of blood, so I became a lawyer, okay? Okay. Uh, And it was pure luck that got me uh, three years out of law school into the Rosenman Law Firm uh, that represented CBS, and Columbia Records was a division of CBS. And three years out of law school, I was offered the job of chief counsel to Columbia Records. That is how I got into music. Oy, my, okay, okay, now that you just got into music, where are the five, or maybe more, where are the five Grammys? Where have you got them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I do have uh, the five Grammys currently at my office at Sony. I am the chief creative officer of Sony. So my Grammys are on a shelf, and they are uh, at Sony. But very nicely, I don't know if you read, but NYU has established in the last two months a gallery museum uh, in my honor, and it's over two floors going through my whole life story. So there, if you go to J Street in Brooklyn at Tiz, you'll find uh, every TV interview or uh, music from artists uh, right from the beginning to current. And uh, it's a wonderful thing that they've done, and my Grammys will be there uh, in about a week. Oh, for God's sake, you're going to end up being looking like a mausoleum. I mean, really, you've got something <laughs> everywhere. What I want to know is, do you have any mementos or keepsakes from Whitney Houston? Well, of course I do. I mean, uh, I mean, apart from the you know, incredible number of photos you've seen uh, in this issue of people, uh, a few of them. Uh, But from the very beginning in 1983, at 19, when I signed Whitney, uh, through her passing, um, you know, uh, obviously my life totally interacted professionally and hers with mine. I not only signed her, but uh, I would come to her with each album uh, with 18 songs. And she and I would sit down to narrow it down to 10, 11, or 12. And even though we came from totally different backgrounds, our ears were so in sync with each other. Uh, People don't know, I'm right now co-producing the biopic on Whitney, and people have no idea how music was her passion, how up-to-date she was, how she knew every record, no matter what the genre was, so that I didn't just sign Whitney, but I 
was the chief, the only collaborator, except for the Bodyguard movie um, and the Waiting to Exhale movie. Who's going to play every Whitney other in the movie? In your movie, who's going to play unknown, Whitney? An unknown British actress named Naomi Aki. Uh, the filming has just completed. Uh, and uh, I'm sure a favorite actor of yours plays me, uh, and that is Stanley Tucci will be playing me in the film. <laughs> With lots of makeup, honey. Okay, did you, ever, <laughs> did you ever miss out on anybody? I did. I um, When you say missed out, I wasn't, if I use the word miss out, competitively I was outbid by Electra for Harry Chapin. But if you asked whom I might have passed on, I will uh, admit to two artists. I don't know how much time we have for this, but the one artist I didn't hear, nor did anybody really, to my knowledge, see that Meatloaf would erupt with Bad Oi, Out of Meatloaf, Hell. Meatloaf, Meatloaf, oh, he was here so for lunch that, one day. I get, I served him Meatloaf. I actually, because I'm stupid, I actually gave him Meatloaf. What was so great about meatloaf, if, if you don't mind my asking? And even if you mind my asking, what was so great about him? Well, I'm saying that I did not sign him because he was very unlikely, and the songs that Jim Steinman wrote were very theatrical and uh, didn't sound contemporary. It's not that he had 10 albums over 50 years the way that Santana has, or Barry Manilow, or Whitney, or Streisand. No, but I, along with all of my colleagues uh, and other labels, did not see Meatloaf as an enduring artist. So that's the one artist. There is a story regarding the second artist, if you have time for it. His name is the great John Mellencamp. Uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. So um, if we have time, just tell me right now, do we have time? I have no idea, but keep going and keep going. Okay. And um, I would say it was about 10 or 15 years ago. I was at a dinner the night before Jan Wenner of Rolling Stone magazine, the founder, was being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we were having drinks uh, at Elaine's, that great restaurant, where an announcement came over the microphone, wherever you're standing, sit down for dinner. And I sat down, and this was a fabulous table of Bruce Springsteen, John Mellencamp, Jackson Brown, and Don Henley. And they turned to me because I had auditioned both Springsteen, whom I did sign. And I said to John Mellencamp, I said, I've got to tell you, John, in every interview, when you talk about a lasting career, a long lasting, which was not Meatloaf's uh, fate, but you, you are the great, one of the great rock and rollers of all time. And I, when I, auditioned you, I thought you were too close to the guy sitting on your right between us and that Bruce Springsteen. And he said to me, which is a story, Clive, 
I've got to tell you so that your mind could forever rest in peace. Before I auditioned for you, I was in a cover band playing Las Vegas. And David Bowie's manager saw me in the band and came over to me and said, look, if you leave that band and start trying to write, I will represent you as a solo artist. And I will arrange for auditions for the most powerful music man. And he said, that's what happened. And I'm writing, I began writing, I tried to find my voice. I was not the Jack and Diane. I was not the writer I became. But eight weeks after I began to try to write, he calls me up and he said, I've got you (laughs) auditioning for Clive Davis. And who was my hero then? Who was the artist that most influenced me? It was Bruce Springsteen. So rest easy, there's no question. When you saw me, I was too close to the original of Bruce. I have found my own voice now, but when I auditioned for you, I was not the artist that I am today. (laughs) Clive, the trouble with you is you're too boring. You're just too boring to talk to. You never have anything to say. I'm going to go read your magazine now, and you owe me dinner, okay? That's a deal. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thanks, Clive. Thank you, sweetheart. Okay, darling. Okay. Take care. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.